You're about to experience a new way to thrive in martial arts by exploring who you are, what you love and standing up for what you believe in. It's time to rise because this is where we challenge and say no to outdated industry norms and say yes to change so that we create a healthier, happier and thriving martial arts community. I'm your host, Laurine Zuhake. Welcome to the Rise to Thrive podcast. In this spicy episode, I am joined with Emily J. Mick. Emily is a BJ Purple Belt, MID, LPC, and owner and lead counselor of Upstream Counseling Services, LLC, in Norman, Oklahoma. Emily is a specialist when it comes to understanding and navigating narcissists and people with narcissistic traits. We will dive deep into understanding why people with narcissistic traits tend to become cult leaders, how cults operate and the role flying monkeys play in all of this. If some terms are unfamiliar to you, don't you worry, we got you covered during this episode. Disclaimer. In this episode, we use our experiences to make that, what Emily explains, tangible. And since our experiences involve mostly men with narcissistic traits, it is important to point out that women in any other gender can display narcissistic traits and act as cult leaders as well. Welcome, Emily. I'm so glad to have you on this podcast today. There's a lot to uncover as we're going to speak about narcissists, why they tend to be cult leaders, and how this translates to the martial arts world. Before we dive into this, please introduce yourself. Okay. Hi, I am Emily Mick. I am a licensed professional counselor in Norman, Oklahoma. I own Upstream Counseling Services. We are a group private practice um, where we have multiple providers providing mental health services to people in our community. One of my focuses that I work on is working with women and other people who are recovering from codependency, toxic relationships. We work a lot on boundaries and understanding how our relationships and how our interactions with toxic or unhealthy individuals have sort of shaped our self-concept and have affected us and being able to unpack and uncover those so we can recover from them and choose healthier relationships and healthier behaviors for ourselves moving forward. And I also know that you're also a martial artist. Can you say something about that too, if you wish? Yes, yes. I am a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Tyler Griffin in the Hinato Tavares Association. Um, you know, I train out of Prodigy Jiu-Jitsu in Edmond, Oklahoma. All right. So as you probably know, especially recently, there's a lot of, well, dramatic stuff going on in the martial arts and specifically the Jiu-Jitsu world where there is a lot of toxicity and um, narcissism to be found. Which is why I also ask you for this podcast because quite some people reach out to me and I was like, how do I recognize it? When do I know I'm in there? Because also if you're in there, it's so hard to create this distance and to recognize specific behaviors. So maybe we just start with what is a narcissist? Maybe just get some definitions clear and then you can take the lead. Okay. Well, you know, a narcissist has to be actually diagnosed. So what we're going to be talking about today is people who are demonstrating narcissistic traits, because we can't 
ever be calling someone a narcissist unless they have actually been examined and diagnosed. And since I haven't examined and diagnosed people, you know, these hypothetical individuals that we may be discussing, we are just going to be talking about people who have narcissistic traits. Um, but a, a narcissistic trait is often going to be those self-serving, exploitative, um, sort of what we would view as harmful to other people at the benefit of myself kind of behaviors, the, the disregard for others, you know, that sometimes even you're going to see a lot of sort of false personas. Um, one of the main things that you will encounter that makes narcissists hard to recognize is the fact that they have this facade this facade that is presented to other people, to most people, and very few select individuals get to ever see maybe the, the real version that's underneath it, get to experience the behaviors that are in the background. Uh, people with narcissistic traits often have very fragile ego systems, even though oftentimes they come off as very confident and very self-assured and, you know, really great and motivating um, underneath all that. That's sort of a false bravado. Many times underneath that, they have a very fragile ego. And most of the reactions that they do, most of the choices they do, the ways they operate towards other people are based upon an ego protection. They're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to protect this very fragile self-concept they have. So, you know, one of the ways that we see this often in martial arts is a lot of traditional martial arts communities have this mentality of, you know, the black belt is a god, you know, this hierarchy, this, you know, um, this person here is our very important leader. And one of the things that we need to be aware of is how there are times in martial arts communities or martial arts gyms in which this manifestation of ego and praise and um, hierarchy can actually be ripe for a narcissistic individual to really reap exactly what they're wanting. You know, um, one of the things to think about is how uh, I sent you an article, a Psychology Today article about how narcissists are a lot like cult leaders. And when we think about cults, we think about, oh, my goodness, this is very damaging. This mm -hmm. is, you know, this is very scary. How how can people end up in cults? You know, we often think I could never end up in a cult. That's so hard. But then when we start to think about how narcissists behave, it is very subversive. It's very uh, controlling and manipulative, and it creates this sense of loyalty that people want to earn. Something that people may encounter in a martial arts gym that is maybe being run by someone who has narcissistic traits would be a, very much a, a an us versus them mentality. If they encounter a us versus them mentality of, you know, we are great, everyone else is our enemy. You know, how dare you cross train? You know, cross training is betrayal. Um, you know, going to another gym or, you know, learning other things there, you know, that's giving away our secrets. Don't, don't do that kind of thing. Um, that can be a sign that maybe there's some toxicity going on in your gym. Um, I know with my own black belt, my own black belt is just like, yeah, cross train, you know, develop your skills, learn other things, 
But when we encounter the, you know, don't go to other gyms, my method, my way of teaching, my way of learning is, you know, best when there is that ego that no other perspective is quite as good. And if you are trying to get another perspective, it's viewed as betrayal or not, um, not, you know, being part of this collective cohesive, that can be an indication of there, there's some toxicity going on in the gym. Another thing to think about is how there's often triangulation going on. That triangulation could be in response to other people in the gym. It could be in the response to anyone who might be a challenge to a narcissistic type individual's ego or their position of authority. You know, if there is someone who is um, having someone who's sort of saying, hey, you know, I, I really don't think this is okay. This this seems unhealthy. You know, someone who's speaking up many times, there's going to be triangulation, telling certain information, you know, to some people sort of getting that sort of head story in ahead of time. I don't know if anyone's ever encountered where um, they, you know, try to disclose something, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to speak up about a thing and someone else already has heard a different story. That sort of preemptive getting my perspective told first can be something that people who are encountering narcissistic individuals will encounter, mm -hmm. sort of turning other people against each other. That's that triangulation where then, you know, when someone has already heard a story, when someone already tries to comment, they're like, well, but, you know, I heard, you know, th that that sense of creating these dynamics where people are working against each other. And those have all been facilitated by an individual with narcissism. Another way to sort of identify these situations would be when there is this sense of you have to earn this belongingness. You have to prove your loyalty, you know, um, that if you ever do something that makes you maybe not one of us, you have to earn your way back. Sometimes that, that involves, you know, having to dislike or go after the same people that, you know, the narcissistic type individual that the narcissistic leader also dislikes. I know, um, I'm aware within sort of the martial arts community within my area, there's at least one gym that I would view falls within this category. And the leaders of that gym have sort of a, a cult-like mentality that's sort of like, no one else is going to cheer for you like I do. No one else is going to care about you like I do. Um, you know, that if you want to belong in a family, you need to be here. No one else is going to care about you like we do. Um, and what that creates is that if you want to belong, you also have to dislike and maybe even attack the same people we do. And that is something that narcissistic type individuals do that is called often flying monkeys. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if anyone's ever watched Wizard of Oz and the, the flying monkeys, you know, were under the spell of the Wicked Witch of the West where um, they went and did her bidding. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you remember at the end when the Wicked Witch was melted, the spell ended and then they, they were like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this bidding, you know, I've been under this spell. And the reason why these followers that are sort of um, doing the bidding, if you will, unconsciously, they're not actively directed of a narcissistic individual many times that they have just been, they've been fed 
tidbits of information, you know, against whoever that the narcissistic individual doesn't like, that the narcissistic individual thinks is operating against them. They have created this. This person is trying to harm me. You know, they're, go they're, they're trying to bring me down. You know, your beloved leader is trying, you know, and I'm so harmed. I am such a victim. I am such a martyr um, that these individuals, these followers will think, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I have this obligation to protect my beloved leader from this harmful person, this person that's trying to harm my poor innocent leader. So they'll engage in active or passive attacks or, um, or just, you know, dismissiveness or undermining of whoever the targeted individual is. And that allows the narcissistic leader to sort of have this plausible deniability. Mm -hmm. They keep their hands clean that, you know, I never told them to do that. I never asked anyone to do that. I didn't do any of this myself. So that, that sort of spell, that manipulation of a narcissistic leader often goes down towards, you know, the flying monkeys. And people are often unwitting flying monkeys. They believe this cult-like mentality. They have this belief system that these things are actually truly happening. But the thing is, what they're believing is often based upon the fragile ego of a narcissistic individual. Mm -hmm. A narcissistic individual will often believe that things are being done to them intentionally because they have these ideas of self-reference, that everything is related to them, that everything that someone else does is related to them. They take everything personally. You know, anything that they encounter is, or anything that goes wrong, even if it's of their own choices mm -hmm. being not so great and they had natural consequences, these are the outcomes of their own behaviors, they're still going to view it as a deliberate action by someone trying to take them down. You know, because most of us who don't have these traits, we have the ability to hold ourselves accountable. We have the ability to look inward and go like, do you know what? This this was kind of me. I, I did this. Um, I didn't make good choices or I behaved rashly or, you know, I sort of set myself up for this and this is my own outcome. A narcissistic individual won't have the ability to do that because that's too damaging to their ego. And everything that they're doing is trying to protect their ego. So anything that goes wrong can't be their own fault. Anything that goes wrong has to be. It must, it must, must be because of another person operating against me to bring me down. One of the things that is always interesting is, you know, someone who has narcissistic traits will often be someone who talks a lot about their haters. You know, I don't know if you ever encounter someone that's just like, the haters trying to bring me down. And I'm always like, most of us don't actually have haters. Most of us don't have anyone who is actively trying to sabotage mm -hmm. us or bring us down. And for the most part, a narcissistic individual doesn't either, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they believe they do. Um, so what they do is they 
believe anything that goes wrong in their life is the fault of someone operating against them, is the fault of sabotage. And they use that as their justification to continue to go after and actively sabotage another person. Because what they fail to realize is just because they want to bring another person down, just because they actively engage in smear campaigns against another person, because they do that themselves, they believe that that's what everyone else does too. They assume that their actions, the way they behave is what everyone else does, because what they do is something called a smear campaign. So because they want to undermine another person. They want to often bring down or discredit someone who has chosen to either leave the cult or just spoken up against the other person. You know, it's sort of like Mm -hmm. there is someone saying, hey, by the way, the emperor has no clothes. You know, this person is not safe. This person is not healthy. Look at all these harmful things they're doing. And everyone else is still going, no, the emperor is wearing clothes. It's such beautiful clothes. And the emperor doesn't want the person that's saying, no, they're naked. They're not wearing clothes and they're not a good, healthy person. Let's point this out. The instant someone is trying to expose the narcissist, it's either sometimes someone who has been discarded because they're no longer useful to the narcissist, or it's someone who has set boundaries because they recognize what the narcissist was and left, you know, freed themselves from a narcissistic individual's control because they realized that this cult-like mentality is happening. Because there are some people who are like, hey, y'all, this is not okay. Why is everyone else buying into this? All of these things, though, happen easily within a martial arts context because there's a lot of old school mentalities of the black belt is God. The black belt is the leader. Let's all respect the hierarchy. Let's all, you know, worship them. And, you know, the more modern black belts that I've encountered have have had this like, hey, you know, I'm a black belt because I've ranked up and I have this knowledge and I have this skill, but I am not your God. Mm -hmm. You are not supposed to worship me. I'm your leader, but I am not your master. But the old school mentality that narcissists really enjoy is there's still a lot of mentality in martial arts gyms of the opposite. Do you want me to keep going or do you want me to, do you have questions or, you know, anything you want to talk about? Yeah, like I think you really describe, for instance, my situation to a T. Not that I necessarily, um, I just want to use as an example for listeners that they just can like, oh, maybe they experienced it as well. So my husband and I definitely were in a cult and I remember we went to a seminar of Kid Dill and I know that our head coach at point didn't necessarily like it also because of academia I was traveling a lot so I would take my gi with and I would train at Marcelo Garcia's and you know wherever I was and I know he never really liked it and then after that Kid Dill seminar he asked me like how was the seminar and I said oh it was great I really enjoyed it and then he's like yeah he's popular but he's a shit grappler and I was like what you know because at that point Gideon was also still really um competing at the highest level so obviously factually that was untrue and yeah also other things what we had is indeed when I started kind of the love bombing um just super nice and friendly at first I really thought oh because it looked like he did that to everyone Mm -hmm. so I thought it was normal but then real soon I realized that had he had different goals in mind which was in my case of course uh sexual 
harassment, which is also one of the reasons why we left, but also because I always said no, yeah, eventually you get repercussions. So, mm-hmm. you know, especially then then boyfriend and my now husband that I was dating at one point, he got shouted at, got not so good instruction anymore. Like we just were getting bullied and getting punished for the fact that we simply came for jujitsu, okay? Like mm-hmm. that was just what we were there for. And I also found that when we left and opened up our own school because we were like, no, we need to have a safe space. Um, we got a lot of bullying. And the interesting thing was that there were exactly these people around him that did it. He didn't do it directly. So there you could really see these flying monkeys in action. Even people that I never spoken with, I've never rolled with or trained with, especially nowadays, it's like five plus years later, where I can see how persistent this is. And um, we got mm-hmm. quite some backstabbing, especially also from people I know that they have been victims of those similar punishing and abusive behaviors as well. But apparently maybe they, in their mind, they just want to try harder to get the loyalty back, as you mentioned earlier. Um, so I can see these patterns that you describe. I yeah. can see them. And also, especially now, so in the beginning when we opened, they're like, ah, yeah, two blue belts, what can they do? But no, we're still there and we're doing well, doing also well in competition. And especially recently, I found that the more successful we are, because we have this trauma-informed approach, we, ha- we are a different type of school, that I sense there's more um, backlash, there's more resistance again. Like in between, it was kind of calm, but ever since, it's also off the zone, I sense like, oh, but, but usually it comes from people I have never really spoken with. I don't know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, and it, it goes from those ideas of reference that they have internalize that belief that you were operating against them. So they pass that on to their followers, to the people who are sort of right now, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, to use another cult reference that are believing all of that, you know, because even though there are times in which someone who has maybe escaped a narcissistic individual, especially within a gym setting, if they have found success on their own, that is going to be a threat to a narcissistic type individual because their belief system, what they try to get all of their followers to believe, all their members of their gym, their students to believe is that your success is because of me. That if you are succeeding, it's because I am so amazing at teaching you and coaching you and leading you when really they have, you know, this belief system that anyone's success that is under me is actually me. You know, I'm responsible for that. And they're supposed to know that I created that. I have have such an amazing anecdote for this one. What happened? Uh We were open for a year or so. And we had a very young boy who started restraining at six because he got bullied like crazy because he was small for his age. Mm -hmm. And fast forward a year later, he went to this international um, championship and he, with his gi, he was weighing only 20 kilos, like nothing. I don't know what it's in pounds, but nothing. He had nobody in his bracket. So they moved him up to kids that were like 33 kilos. So more than a third heavier than he was. And I asked him, do you want this? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Lorraine, you also always fight weight classes up. I'm going to do the same. Okay. So I thought, okay. I said, but you cannot close the guard because your legs are too short. I want you to get the back. Okay. He says, okay, sure thing. And he does. So if you saw, I mean, I could, I should later really show you the video. It's amazing. But you see him so much smaller and he gets the back and he slaps on his rear naked choke. And he was the fight of that day. So when it was over, 
all kinds of people, black belts from different teams, but also, you know, they were all like fist bumping him, high-fiving him because people saw, like, it was amazing. Like, this is really like jiu-jitsu works. It was like one of those moments where you see, yeah, the smaller can win. What happened then was one of the black belts that's kind of affiliated with the school we left, he approached our student, grabbed him at the gi and pulled him forward just to see that it's truly our logo on the back, which I found very weird because there was no... Um, no hello he just pulled like just utter cognitive dissonance but then it gets better like a few days later we got an email from this black belt saying like yeah uh, i saw that the organizers they made a picture uh, of this kid fighting and by the way the two kids in that picture were both our students and he said like yeah we, we want to use that for our website for for to promote our kids program. We won't use any names, any affiliation or where this was taken place. Can you please ask the parents whether they would be okay with that? Well, of course, we just, you know, explained the contextual situation to the parents. And of course, they were like, no, not to mention the school. They have a kids program. They have their own kids. They can use their own kids for pictures. But of course, mm-hmm. this particular kid was the bump and everybody will recognize this kid. Mm -hmm. So it was clear that he just wanted to use our success of this kid for himself by showing, see, you know, here is where this great, this amazing jujitsu is being taught. So then when I said no, Mm -hmm. but things anyway, I got this really kind of passive aggressive. Yeah, well, here's the picture. I'm pretty sure the parents would like it. I still have all the emails. And I think this is really one of these examples where it is just not possible for us or another a school or anyone who dared to leave to also be successful, given the fact that they had at that point a much bigger kids team than we had because we only existed for a year. It's just just that we had a huge success. They all knew it, but they wanted to have it. Yeah. Well, and there's one of those other things that I think about as a you know professional counselor is that many times a narcissistic individual thinks that they have rights and abilities to operate towards other people in ways that are not acceptable, that no one else would get to do. Because let's just be honest, a strange adult coming up and feeling that they have the right to grab a child by the clothing and yank them around, most adults would be like, I can't, that's not okay. We don't do that to a child I don't know, you know, but someone who has a narcissistic type belief system, they're going to think they have the right to do that kind of thing because narcissistic type people often believe the rules don't apply to me, that I am beyond that. Because, you know, I, I sit there and I think that's a violation of a social norm. None of us other adults would ever think that we could walk up to someone else's child, grab them by the clothing and yank them around just so that way we could look more at what they're wearing. We would be like, that is absolutely inappropriate. But someone who has narcissistic type traits may think that that's absolutely okay. And it could be because maybe they have this belief system of I get to do what I want because I'm the black belt. Or it could be, you know, not even related to I'm a black belt. It could be that I just think I have that right because I don't think you would do that to some student, some child that you don't know. That's not, you know, part of your team, not <laughs> not one of your children. I would not either. No. You know, it, sometimes those little tiny things give us indications of where someone believes they have rights. When we start to pay attention, we start to notice those kind of things. When we observe within situations, you know, one of the individuals within the area I'm at that um, 
there were some times in which some of his harmful behaviors started to come out. Um, and there were a lot of people that used it, that he had had a facade towards, that they saw the harmful behaviors that he was engaging in. Um, and they just, they didn't operate towards him. They didn't try to sabotage him. They just stopped interacting with him. They just pulled away, unfriended, you know, things like that, if it was social media world. Um, but because anytime someone pulls away or gets away from a person who is harmful, who has narcissistic traits, they view this as now this person is actively working against me. Mm -hmm. An example, one of my friends encountered, um, he coaches a kid's program at one of the local gyms and he had kids. And also he was cornering one of our you know, mutual friends who trains with him. Mm -hmm. um, in a match, you know, and he was cornering, uh, our mutual friend and also kids against people within the program of the, of a narcissistic type individual that I have identified. I haven't diagnosed, but I, I see the behavior. Um, and the reference was once upon a time, you know, there had been sort of like a vague casual friendship, but then once my friend kind of noticed the behavior, just sort of like, okay, well, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be friends with this person anymore. I don't really interact with them. It's been years. It's been years since that happened. But after the match, my friend who was cornering someone uh, walked over to, you know, shake hands with with the, the individual from the other gym um, who, you know, who he hasn't interacted with. He hasn't thought of probably in three or four years. Um, he goes over to shake his hands. He's just like, OK. And the other person, you know, that that individual would not shake his hand. And looked at him and said, you know, you've been an asshole to me for three years now. You've, you've done nothing but be an asshole to me. And my friend was just like, I, like internally, you know, was like, I haven't thought of you in three years. And you sit here thinking that I have been obsessed with you trying to take you down. And that that's the kind of thing that when we experience those kind of things or we observe those things in some situations, that gives us an indication of where is a safe gym, where is not a safe gym. Most black belts have the ability to have collaborative efforts or, you know, even if they're not a black belt, even if they're an owner of a gym, they understand the importance of having collaborative efforts with other gyms, having good relationships with other gyms, because even though we may compete against people with other gyms, we're all still part of this overall martial arts community in an area. But when we start to see someone who develops this, you know, once again, us versus them mentality, everyone else is the enemy. Our gym is our family. Everyone else is against us mentality. And it trickles down. You know, tournaments are a great opportunity to observe this, to watch how people respond to other gyms, watch how people respond to other coaches and, you know, what kind of behaviors they encourage within their own students. Do they encourage their students to have poor sportsmanship because it reinforces that we're better than the other people? Mm -hmm. Or do they encourage their students to have really good, kind sportsmanship, you know, care about the person they're competing against? Yeah, compete hard, but still also that's a human being that we care about in terms of, you know, they're just a human. We want to treat them with respect and kindness. Yeah, I think that's really like lately we were on, on a tournament and there's another school that we also go to open mats a lot. And it's, it's really a lovely school. And it happened that one of our students had to compete against one of theirs and it was just fun 
They show both showed like awesome jujitsu. It was really thrilling. Obviously, one has to win. Um, but it was clear it could have gone either way. Like if they would meet again, whatever. But also afterwards, there's no problem. We really talk like, wow, you know, your student is really good. Like was super inspiring. Whereas uh, the other, the, like the gyms that we left, mm-hmm. they were of course also present and they're shouting at refs, for instance, whether they win or lose, even when they won, they would like just make trouble, bad vibes, um, just really aggressive coaching and in, in try to dehumanize basically um, the other. Where I'm like, come on, it's just, you know, it's not even like the world championships. Even then, I don't think it has any place there either. But you can just sense like that then also others, if like a head coach wasn't there, so fellow students would coach, they would adopt this similar super aggressive and negative type of coaching. I remember myself when I competed one time, I competed and the girl immediately, bam, did an overall sweep on me. And as I was tumbling over, I was like, damn, that was good, you know? Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I celebrated with her. Of course, I was like, mm-hmm. I, I managed that she didn't get into mount. I got my butterflies hooking. Then I managed via spider to get into a triangle and I won the match. So mm-hmm. yes, like I celebrated with her, but it didn't mean I accepted her dominance in the in the fight. Yeah. Um, and I think this is what I could see really, especially by kids, holy much, like by the kids, I found some coaches, they were like the most aggressive, even more aggressive than with adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found indeed it's very fascinating to observe because we were there like for, for 13 hours because it was like so big tournament in coaching. Oh, yeah. But I think indeed you can really see and observe like which coaches are just there healthy and are there really for the student. Win or lose doesn't matter because even if you lose, you will learn, you get better. But I could sense that in other places, like when you lost, they felt like they as a person failed, mm-hmm. you know, this family, mm-hmm. like this school. And yeah. that I found very fascinating to witness. Yeah. Well, because what you manifest in yourself and your students is one of the core tenets that I've always viewed as part of, of jujitsu and martial arts is, you know, you, you win or you learn, you know, losing is not losing, losing is learning, you know, that's how we grow, you know, that gives us the ability to be self-evaluative and have that self-reference to understand what we need to work on. But, you know, that's the kind of thing, remember that the ability to self-evaluate, to, to, to look at, you you know, things that we can't do yet or, you know, because we view it as yet. Those things are too damaging to the ego of someone that has narcissistic traits. So that way a loss is a threat to the ego. We can't do that. And I also want to point out something that you were able to demonstrate, you know, because I'm the same way. When someone gets me real good, I'm like, okay, awesome. Good job. You know, you know, that is something that I... I will kind of celebrate with them. You know, I'll be like, well, darn, but also very cool. Um, That's because you and I, we don't split. Okay. Narcissistic type individuals have something called splitting that happens where people can not be both um, good and bad at the same time, you know, because, you know, Mm -hmm. in life, you and I can maybe be um, frustrated or angry with someone important to us, someone we care about. We still care about them. They're still important to us. They're still, you know, a good human being, but we're mad at them. You know, we're frustrated. We're we're disappointed. You know, we have the ability to have what I call, you know, an ampersand moments where we can, you know, love them and be mad at them at the same time. We have that ampersand. But narcissists can't do that. It's an either or. There's no ampersand. So if someone is 
for example, a narcissist, if they become angry with someone or someone brings up something that, you know, is conflict to them, um, that person, they have what's called splitting. Their feelings, the, the relationship with that person splits. They have no ability to hold both good and negative feelings about someone at the same time. So in terms of a competition, you're able to understand that I'm competing against this person. I'm still trying to win, but that was also very cool. You can ampersand. But a narcissist type individual in those moments would be the instant that happens, that is damage to the ego. You know, I can't be excited by that. I can't be proud of it. I'm a, a narcissist, the instant someone has challenged their ego in some way, they're immediately all bad. And that's why they have these big explosive rages to certain people that no one, you know, lots of times people don't see them. If someone stays on their good side, they get that facade. They get the 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 kind constantly love bombing. They have the, look how caring and good I am. Um, look how much I care about you because you haven't done anything yet to challenge me. You haven't done anything that's going to challenge my ego. And then, you know, I haven't split towards you. But the instant you do, then you encounter the opposite, where it's almost like they have no positive feelings left for you. You are now the enemy. You can never be someone they care about at the same time as someone that they're frustrated with. And one of the other things I think we should maybe talk about in terms of narcissistic type individuals and the martial arts world is how oftentimes there can be like fraudulent kind of representation of themselves mm -hmm. in the martial arts world. The individual mm -hmm. in our community oftentimes markets themselves because when they started their gym, they were a, a blue belt who hadn't moved beyond blue belt in 15 plus years and had bounced from place to place to place um, and never had been consistent. And there was almost, you know, if you think about it, once afterwards, it was some of us in the martial arts world found out that there was fraud involved because they were marketing themselves to people who were unfamiliar with the martial arts world. And they were going around and talking about how they were a, you know, gold medal, you know, jujitsu individual. But what their gold medal was, was when they were a white belt 15 years ago, they had a Naga tournament <laughs> and they got a gold medal at a Naga tournament, right, which right, right. those of us in the martial arts world know that there are thousands and thousands of gold medals given out every year at Naga tournaments. And, you know, white belt in your age range is, you know, just one of many. But the marketing that was being discussed is, you know, this is a, a gold medalist uh, martial artist right now, you know, come train, you know, talking about their long ago history of being, you know, a MMA fighter where they, you know, had like nine bouts, those kind of things. There was an element of fraud involved where they didn't have an affiliation. They didn't have any black belt in, you know, yet they're, you know, choosing to teach this because they have elevated their own skill to the point in which they are convincing everyone else how amazing they are. They are convincing themselves that they are great, um, you know, and 
I think those of us that have been in a martial arts world, we would avoid that. We'd be like, okay, well, this person doesn't have any kind of lineage behind them. They don't have any affiliation behind them. You know, they don't have necessarily what we look for in a safe martial arts gym. Mm -hmm. And there was, you know, a lot of things where like, once again, the emperor has no clothes underneath the facade of this gym. What type of martial arts training are you actually getting? Yeah, I think that's a big one. I mean, you have every now and then you see also online, right, that they expose frauds and, and, and all that. And especially when you don't know the martial arts world and that's where you start, you don't know any better. Like it's so hard also yeah. to, to know. It's indeed when you start cross-training that you're maybe like, hmm, but of course they want you to prevent that. So I think what you also uh -huh. mentioned, this victim thing is like, um, especially when we left but you meet at tournaments because that's just what you do that we one time bumped into him and um, he looked so sad and we were mm -hmm. both like like so sorry like for himself probably but mm -hmm. you know that we were so mean that we left and now we're here with our big team and all that and I found it so fascinating that I can understand because it's quite convincing I was mm -hmm. kind of thinking like yeah I can understand when somebody else sees that that they would start hating us like oh how dare you and that's mm -hmm. kind of maybe another topic I would like to discuss with you is like female flying monkeys mm -hmm. um it's for for many i think it's still really a taboo thing um but i also on off the zone i say like look women are also part of the problem yes um, they can really protect so i think i really want to get into this taboo and you know give you let you start about like why female flying monkeys can be so dangerous well, and, you know, there's actually a term of that because many times if a narcissistic individual is male, many times they have created a, sort of a harem of, you know, we call it kind of a harem of female followers that will operate as flying monkeys that will jump in to defend. And sometimes that harem is also associated with if that narcissistic individual has a current partner or spouse that is female. Many times, you know, it's like a double trickle down where, you know, they'll tell the information to their spouse and their spouse will pass it on to their friends. And all these friends have this, oh, you know, there's this person that's against, you know, my friend and my friend's partner, or even if they have it directly, many times the, the female flying monkeys often are trying to seek that approval, you know, to get that, that approval. Um, almost any time there's a narcissistic individual, even if they have a significant other, they, they do develop a, a harem of, of women that they have, you know, given special attention to, made them feel some some way special. Um, like you've talked about earlier, love bombing. Narcissists are very good at love bombing individuals. Love bombing, you know, to define that for listeners, is that, you know, that very intense way of just showering someone with, with affection and, and praise or gifts or acknowledgement or special attention in some way that makes them feel very quickly um, connected to the narcissistic individual. And many times, you know, that love bombing is the initial step of creating what's called a trauma bond, okay? A trauma bond helps keep flying monkeys or victims of a narcissist around because a trauma bond is something that is based upon intermittent reinforcement. What happens is when someone has received all this intense love bombing, this affection that's made them feel really, really good, then suddenly 
if there's ever a point in which they do something that upsets the narcissistic individual, because remember, the narcissistic individual splits and now this person is immediately bad, you know, that gets withdrawn. And many times there is this, this silent treatment or stonewalling or just very dismissive behavior that is the exact opposite of the love bombing that someone received. So that causes an intense distress within the person who had previously received the love bombing and is now getting a stonewall or silent treatment. So what they start doing is they want to actively try to earn back what they had, you know, so they start doing what they can to please the narcissist. So sometimes this could be, you know, making sure that like, look, I am also attacking the people that you dislike. I have earned you. And then when they have behaved appropriately, quote unquote, (laughs) um, that many times when they have acted as, you know, sort of like this go between this flying monkey, Mm -hmm. and because this is very often used in male narcissistics with, with, um, with female flying monkeys, now they're starting to get that love bombing again. So they're like, oh, I have earned it back. So it has reinforced them. The the, mm-hmm. the pattern of intermittent reinforcement where, you know, good, affectionate, positive behavior is given and then drastically withdrawn and the other person has to earn it back by behaving in a way that benefits, that helps, that placates, um, that proves their loyalty to the narcissist. And that often, many times, female flying monkeys can be susceptible to that because often in gender dynamics and socializations Mm -hmm. that many times we are put in this position of, of male attention is good. Um, male attention, you know, is our worth. And it's very easy for male narcissistic type individuals to play upon that socialization with this. And it and that creates the ability that trauma bond is Stockholm syndrome, essentially, where, you know, it becomes very hard for them to leave because they're always in this this sense of anytime that they are being, dis, you know, that sort of, um, you know, put down, that splitting has happened. It makes it mm-hmm. hard for them to leave because they have this belief of if only I could earn back the good. Think about how good it is when I have earned it back. <laughs> Let me try harder to earn it back. But one of the things to think about is because of that gendered socialization, there's often, like you mentioned before, a sense of um, sort of a sexual, uh, you know, attraction or um, just sort of behavior. You know, many times uh, narcissistic individuals can behave in a, a very um, sexual way, uh, trying to, you know, depending, you know, not every narcissist. There are a lot of covert narcissists who do the very, I'm very vulnerable. I am a mm-hmm. sensitive, you know, person, that vulnerability, those we kind of call covert narcissists, the kind of person that you think is a very sensitive, empathetic compassionate person and uh, some bad things have happened to them in the world. And I feel so sorry for them, but narcissists that are a little more grandiose or malignant will often use sexuality and the, the idea of sexual attraction that people maybe are sexually attracted to them, or they'll engage in very, you know, flirty ways to, to gain that attention. So that way, everyone is always thinking that if I can just earn more attention from them by attacking the people that they need me to attack. And Unfortunately, because of socialization, um, women are very susceptible 
to that because we have been socialized as cisgender women. We have been socialized that male attention and or sexual attention is the is often, you know, something good and that, you know, that we want to compete with other women about that. And that many times if a woman chooses not to buy within that, you know, a woman chooses to be assertive. One of the things that we've talked about is, you know, my concept of bitches have boundaries. Um, And is that word okay on your podcast? (laughs) Yes, totally. Absolutely. Okay. Um, is, is the fact that, you know, when, when women choose not to fall within that socialization by reclaiming the things that we get called a bitch for, oftentimes we are now the enemy. We're the target. And the other women who haven't sort of developed this assertive identity of this is not how I want to, you know, get my attention can engage in flying monkey behavior. This is, of course, not across the board. I don't want to be woman bashing saying that we're, we're going to be, you know, susceptible to this, but it is something that can be very common if, a narcissist is a very charming man who makes women feel special and chosen. I've, I've experienced myself and I also know some other stories from people that confide in me and like um, a few anecdotes where exactly that was happening was one the cult that my husband and I were in was that um, the head coach would give a girl or woman specific attention and the other women would start bullying. So in my case, I didn't want any, I just wanted jujitsu, just plain and simple jiu-jitsu. But sometimes he would end up touch me, like my feet or something, and the others would see that. And then I would get bullied over that. And I had at that time a friend and we were quite close because um, I know that, you know, she had a relationship, uh, a sexual relationship also with him, even though he also had an official girlfriend, whatever. There were, he had a, he had many. Like there was even this running joke, like the women that are behind the counter, that's the ones that he's sleeping with. I mean, it was already running back, right? So, and then at one point when I left, because I was like, no, fuck this. Um, when I anonymously was like speaking out for just about behaviors like that, um, that specific woman that I used to be friends with immediately got in touch with this other black belt trying to discredit me. And later also wrote me directly with a completely different story, um, was just friends with benefits, whatever. But what is interesting to me is kind of like, I'm like, yeah, but you're also a victim of this abuse, right? Like I never, I never um, took it personally because I understood. And if anything, I wish that they could just also get out and go to a different, a healthier space. But I've really experienced that and also other people telling indeed that, that they actually were close, that they were talking, another person like shared with me like, yeah. The women amongst each other, they were like, yeah, you know, he's doing that to me as well. It's not okay. And then one got the got the courage to be like, okay, bye. But then the mm-hmm. whiplash that this person that she got from the other women, even though supposedly they were on the same side, but then they were not because she dared to just say like, no, I don't accept this anymore. Well, and that's part of that triangulation that happens within the flying monkeys. You know, when everyone wants to be the chosen one and narcissistic type individuals will deliberately create sort of like love triangle kind of situations as part of triangulation because they'll be, you know, they'll be giving all this special attention to someone and then suddenly in front of the other person, they'll give this special attention to the other person. So that's called jealousy induction. 
So because this jealousy induction, now that means that the person has seen this special attention be given to another person. We've created this like love triangle type situation. And, you know, it's not always in a, you know, sexual way or a romantic way, but it's Mm -hmm. a triangulation, you know, if you think about it. And now because they have seen the special attention, they are motivated to try to compete with that other person to earn that attention or that affection back from the narcissistic type individual. You know, and the thing is, women will target other women very easily to earn the favor of a narcissistic individual. Um, I have posted many times on my social media about narcissists because the reason why I know so much about narcissistic individuals is because I have had um, in my own experience with a narcissist, you know, um, you know, I was involved in a relationship um, with a narcissistic abuser, um, you know, and so therefore, I educated myself and, you know, sort of really made it one of the focuses that I I work on. The thing is, when I post providing education as, you know, here I'm posting on my personal social media, that is friends only, as someone who's just speaking generally about here's what narcissists do and here's how it affects people. Um, You know, like people need to know this because it's one of the hardest things for people to understand. Many times people who have experienced narcissists are just sort of viewed as crazy or vindictive, you know, that when they start speaking up about a narcissistic individual, they're the ones accused of smear campaigning when it's the other way around. Um, I've had women followers, female followers of, you know, the narcissistic individual that I dealt with start smear campaigning me on their own social medias, um, like even me, like professionally, just because they've never met me. They don't know me. They've never been, you know, um, any way associated with me professionally, yet they decide to start, you know, saying their belief systems. It's because one of the things that I learned within my relationship with that, that, you know, during the time in which, uh, we were together, I did not know that different versions of me, different stories about me were already being told. So narcissistic individuals preemptively start sort of planting the seeds, planting the seeds to discredit the person um, when they start realizing they're losing control mm-hmm. or, or you know, they're just sort of making sure that they can play what is one of the dynamics that's really interesting about a narcissistic individual is in every story, they are both the hero and the victim. They have to present to people that they're both, you know, the hero who is, you know, fighting against all this. Look at all these things I'm accomplishing, despite all the things that are trying to bring me down. But they're also the victim. Woe is me. There are so many haters going after me. That's one of those ironies that I think most of us can be like, you're, you're either the hero or the victim of the story, but you can't be both. But in a narcissist world, They are both and they want people to see them as both and maybe add in a little bit of martyrdom (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they'll sprinkle a little of that in there um, as well. So what they'll start doing is they'll start ahead of time. And you maybe experienced this in the gym 
when you started standing up and resisting some of the attention that you had been getting, there was probably already stories sort of being told in the background mm -hmm. about you, discrediting yeah. you, you know, the kind of things where lots of times if someone rejects a narcissist's advances, they'll go around and tell everyone that you don't know. Um, they'll tell everyone, well, they came on to me. They were trying to get with me. You know, they'll start telling a different story. One yeah. of the things I experienced in my personal experience with a narcissist is um, lots of times I was being presented to all these other people in his life that knew me too, but there was secret conversations going on mm -hmm. about like, you know, well, she got mad at me about X, Y, Z, things that had never actually happened. So he was planting the seeds to discredit me if I ever did that. And that's probably what happened, you know, in your gym setting too. Absolutely. We went um, one time, um, they organized a, a camp abroad, a summer camp. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I asked the head coach, like, oh, which hotel are we all staying? Because I just wanted to book my, I was going with my brother, just like be like, oh, that's, we can just be all in the same hotel. And then he gave it and I just booked on his computer because then I could just do it in one go. And then I know because it wasn't mm -hmm. like there were people around, like there was nothing weird about it. But then I later heard then from another female student that indeed he was saying like, uh, no, we're not, uh, um, you know, we're not in the same room. And I was like, um, what? <laughs> like that was never um, <laughs> the thing. I just wanted to know which hotel because I was sharing it with my brother. Um, but there was already something going on. And I also remember when I left and um, people apparently start asking questions. Um, I got a little bit threatening um, WhatsApp messages and um, was also saying like, yeah, well, people are saying he, wa he wanted me to come back to, you know, sort things out. And I was like, there's nothing to sort out. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, yeah, but the people are also telling things about you that are also not true. I said, well, I don't care what other people tell about me. If it's not true, there's nothing for me to straighten out with you. And then it was like, well, I tried nice, but next time if you don't come, you know, I won't be this nice. Oh, that's what's like what's written. Mm -hmm. And always every WhatsApp message, everything was always deleted. So sometimes when my husband would just say like, oh, we're late. He was like, who is this? Because he even deleted like the numbers off the people. So there you can see like there was a lot. And I also uh -huh. know that the coach also told things to me about other students, which I found very weird. Um, uh -huh. Luckily, I make up my own mind, but it definitely happened. So that's like some examples I can present to you that, that I directly mm -hmm. experienced myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing that I think is in terms of martial arts, you know, unfortunately, some of the dynamics that exist in the martial arts world, they are ripe for uh, a narcissistic type individual to thrive. It is the environment that, a narcissist can do well because, you know, that team aspect, you know, oftentimes can be the situation where we create this us versus them. You know, the fact that there is a hierarchy of, you know, who's the black belt, who's the, who's the professor, who's the coach, who's the gym owner, you know, that kind of thing creates that, that sort of like, here is, here is our leader, here is our God, here is our person, our hero that we're supposed to blindly worship and follow. There's the ability to create the us versus them mentality. And I think that's one of the things that in, anyone in martial arts should be aware of is being able to make sure that when they're in a martial arts gym, that they're not in a cult. <laughs> because there, there is that sense of you have to earn favor. You have to make sure you belong with us because here's the thing, the people who start to 
you know, argue against it, who stand up to get it, it's they're triangulated against. And, you know, and if they want to not be triangulated against, not be attacked, if they want to continue to behave, they have to fall back in line. They have to do the things to earn their way back into good graces and good favor with the cult leader, you know, the narcissistic type individual. You know, and the thing is, not every narcissistic type individual is going to be particularly harmful or dangerous. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're just very self-involved people who have poor patterns of social relationships and, you know, repeat the same things over and over again. But then there are plenty of narcissists that are, most narcissists are very harmful. One of the running jokes, you know, I guess you would call it a joke in the mental health community is a narcissist is the pretty much one of the only diagnoses where everyone in their life is in therapy to deal with them, but they're never in therapy themselves. Um, because the only reason a narcissistic type individual would ever go to mental health counseling would be in order to try to triangulate mm-hmm. and manipulate the, the therapist into operating as sort of like a flying monkey for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, believing their victim hero overlap story, you know, sort of like um, believing that, you know, they're just trying so hard with these other people that aren't just able to, you know, behave in kind ways and they're surviving so much stuff. So, you know, most of the time a a narcissistic individual doesn't because like we said, they don't have the ability to self-evaluate, find Mm -hmm. the issue with themselves. They would only go to, you know, mental health counseling as sort of like a validation or just another way to, create triangulation. Um, that's why like lots of times uh, couples counseling with someone who's in, in, in a relationship with a narcissistic individual who's undergoing narcissistic abuse is not, you know, we, we won't do it, you know, because it's just not going to work. It's going to have the narcissist just triangulating the therapist into the dynamic and causing more harm to their victim. Mm-hmm. So to the listeners, if they're like, holy moly, that's me. Or more like I am in this situation or or more like, oh, you know, there are like man, many things that we described and discussed with, with examples and anecdotes. Say like, oh, I could tick many boxes. This is my school. What do I do now? Uh-huh. What would you say to yeah. them? Well, you know, one one of the things that is is almost like one of the most important things that we work on with anyone who is sort of starting to realize and sort of, it's sort of like the flying monkey spell has come off Mm -hmm. when you're starting to realize that I am in a situation where it is cult-like. And one of the the best ways is to see if you can just safely disengage. Um, One of the things that can happen is it's an ego damage when a victim of a narcissist kind of, leaves them rather than when the narcissist is done with them, they discard them. So it is a very rage inducing ego damage kind of thing. So trying to figure out if can you just safely disengage, it's sort of what I call moonwalking out of the situation, you don't have to be in airport, you don't have to announce your departure, you just find a way to just sort of casually fade out of the situation. Because if you stop being relevant enough to a narcissist, many times they're not going to be too mad when you're gone. Granted, if you start having success once you're gone, that can induce that rage Mm -hmm. again. But many times just sort of finding finding a way to simply 
disengage and move out like my friend did with, uh, you know, that one person that he just sort of unfriended him on Facebook and never thought about him again. You know, he had no reason to continue interacting with him and and that kind of thing. So that's how he kind of moonwalked out of the situation. If you recognize you're in the situation, you have to also be aware of something called hoovering. You know, many times if Mm -hmm. a narcissistic individual still feels like even if they discarded you, if they discarded you or if you left them, if there's ever a time in which they think that you might have another benefit to them, either in terms of they need their ego stroked again or they want, you know, maybe even sexual attention again, they want something that you can provide for them. Sometimes (laughs) it's even financial. Um, They'll they'll start hoovering. We call it hoovering because it's named after, you know, the vacuum cleaner, they start sucking you back in. So even though maybe you've successfully left or gotten away from them, or they even, you know, like discarded you, sometimes they'll start doing that. Well, well, why don't you come back? We can try. I can change, you know, or if you change, you need to apologize to me because, you know, I would love to give you another chance to come here, but you have to work on you. And it depends on how bad that trauma bond is, how badly you think and you've internalized these, these, you know, sort of like, emotionally abusive belief systems where many times, you know, you, you may fall for that. And that, that's one of the things that sometimes um, when someone's trying to extract themselves from a gym situation that is toxic or harmful to them is sometimes they need to give themselves that grace and understanding that it may take them a little bit more than they thought. It may take them one or two times because there might be times in which they do get sucked back in. They may think, okay, maybe I overreacted. Maybe I, you know, read the situation wrong because we start second guessing ourselves because gaslighting exists. Gaslighting is a thing in which someone tries to convince you or, or tells you that your experience, your memory of the situation, the way the situation or something went down was not true. You know, gaslighting is is based upon an old stage play in which someone is, you know, making a woman believe Mm -hmm. she's going crazy Mm -hmm. by making her believe the experiences that she's happening are not happening or making things happen that she, you know, she can't explain. So gaslighting is when someone is made to doubt their own experience by someone telling them that didn't happen or that's not true or that's not how it went down sort of making them doubt their own perception their own memory Um, and many times if you've encountered a narcissist you've experienced some gaslighting so it makes it easier for you to be hoovered back in to be sucked back in because you start to doubt your own ability you start to wonder am i actually being oversensitive am i overreacting so to leave a narcissistic gym sometimes give yourself the grace and it may take you a couple times to actually realize I need to get out of here. Yeah, I guess that's also what what I often also read uh, people that try to run away or really end a abusive relationship, romantic relationship that usually it also takes up to five, six times until mm-hmm. they really finally leave. So mm-hmm. I guess similar dynamics are at play. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things to think about when you are encountering a toxic gym situation. If we view it in the dynamic of, you know, trying to leave a cult, trying to leave an abusive relationship, all those same emotional dynamics are still in play. Think about how hard it is for people to leave cults. Think about how hard it is for people to leave abusive relationships. 
many times if someone is starting to wonder if they're in an unsafe environment, their behavior is reflecting it, right? So that means that the love bombing that, you know, that one of us, one mm-hmm. of us, goobble gobble, goobble gobble kind of mentality starts getting, you know, even stronger on them to make them sort of question their own self or like, is this actually happening? Because look how much I belong and look how much they care about me. And, you know, they're telling me that no one's going to cheer for me like this. So this sort of mentality of you won't find this anywhere else if you leave kind of makes them doubt themselves. So yeah, um, it's very important to kind of view it as trying to leave a cult or trying to leave an abusive relationship. One of the things to think about is narcissistic type individuals are surprisingly formulaic. You know, when I work with individuals who have dealt with narcissists in any format, you know, even including in relationships, sometimes I refer them to the book Psychopath Free by Jackson McKenzie. And that's geared towards relationships. Um, But it really talks about, you know, how narcissistic type individuals or just other toxic individuals engage in these very predictable patterns of behavior. And what I've found when people have encountered, you know, toxic individuals in either jobs or or gyms or their own relationships, when they read this book, they often encounter two reactions. The first one is validation, where they're like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what happened to me. This is describing it to a T. I'm not crazy. All of this is very true. But then along with that validation, they have this incredible frustration. They're like, this is a formula. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that this book can describe my exact experience to a T means that this is exactly what's happening, what's going on. When someone is encountering a situation with a narcissistic individual in a martial arts gym, they're experiencing something that has been predictable, formulaic, and that that many people have experienced. So many times doing the same ways to get out that other people have successfully done is also going to be effective. You know, just sort of understanding that it may take you multiple tries, that you have to find a way to be able to handle any flying monkeys or after effects or smear campaign that you get afterwards. You know, sort of resigning yourself to holding to your own truth of the situation and not allowing yourself to be and wonder if you were the problem instead, Mm -hmm. despite anything that anyone else is saying. So there is a lot of grief and loss that sometimes goes along with it because you might lose friendships, you might lose connections, you might have people believe things Mm -hmm. about you that aren't true that you can't do anything about. Um, But it's one of those things where the relief that goes along with getting out of a toxic environment, a toxic gym environment, will probably be far better for not only your mental health, but also your training because it's really hard to train and learn appropriately in an environment that is stressing your nervous system. And if you are constantly in a a gym environment that has all these subversive contexts that you have to navigate, all this, I guess you would say drama that you have to navigate, um, how are you going to concentrate? How are you going to train well? How are you going to, you know, Mm -hmm. appropriately evaluate your skill when there's all these triangulations going on? And, you know, is my skill being evaluated appropriately? Am I being spoken to, you know, is my martial arts instructor evaluating my skill appropriately or are they doing it in a way based upon triangulation? So you have to unpack a lot of that 
brainwashing, I guess you would say, when you get out of it. So be prepared to do that. Do all that work yourself because grief and relief are not mutually exclusive. You will grieve maybe some of the friendships that you lose because they're still under the hold of a narcissistic type individual or a toxic gym, but you will also feel relief to be out of it. Yeah, I think it's important to also really talk about the benefits because I think for many people, they think that so much work, is it really worthwhile? Like some rather, you know, like the story like of this dog that is whimpering because it keeps on lying on the nail because it doesn't realize that getting the nail out may hurt a little bit more. But after that, you feel a lot better. And sometimes I feel like when I also speak to people that it's hard sometimes to make them realize that sometimes to just like get the bandaid off, which may hurt a lot, um, will hurt maybe a lot in a shorter period of time, but in the end, you feel much better. That's actually rewarding for you to actually leave. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we, it took a while for us to leave also because of the connections we made with other people that we genuinely liked. And um, also the women uh, that I kind of left, even when they kind of hated me, um, or at least tried to, to sabotage, I still felt bad because if I could, I would take them with, right? Yeah. Um, and it took a while, but once we were out, after a few months, we realized like, oh my God, it's much worse than we thought because then you created mm-hmm. some distance and then we could also see it from a much more, I mean, we're all mm-hmm. of course always biased, but we could have a little bit more objective perspective or like more a meta level from to see what's how it's going. And then we were really counting our blessings. Yeah. Well, when you're within it, sometimes you can't see it clearly for what it is it's you know but once you get away from it and you look back and you start reflecting upon those experiences you have a whole bunch of oh wow that was dangerous or that was toxic Mm -hmm. or that was manipulation and triangulation and gaslighting it's one of those things that many times it's at best identified after the fact because almost any time in which someone encounters a toxic individual or a narcissistic kind of individual is um, they start learning what is going on and that's how they break free. You know, like in terms of like a relationship, many times if someone starts Googling, like, why does my partner make me feel this way? And they start learning what gaslighting is, or they start learning what these different things are until you actually know what it is and can recognize it. It's almost impossible to get away. And once you get away and you have the language, the words, the tools to speak about what you experienced and you can see it, clearly happening, that's when you are able to start unpacking it and being able to, um, you know, to fully extract yourself emotionally from it. But it is hard if some of the people that you used to feel close to are now flying monkeys operating against you. People that you wish, you know, you could save from this environment are still within the environment buying into it. You know, it. so there, there is that, like you said, you know, looking back and be like, I thought these women were my friends. I really wish they could move on with me, you know, but they're still there. And that's a, a journey that sometimes we have to choose to let them get to. We can't save them. Then, thank you very much. The last thing is like, what's your favorite quote or something that you want to share in the end? Um, my, <laughs> my favorite quote is, um, I guess do no harm, take no shit. Um, I am a therapist, obviously. I am very empathetic. I believe in um, compassion and empathy and um, helping people be safe for themselves. I'm all about doing no harm. A vegan animal rescuer. I mean, come on. (laughs) But 
I also believe that being a kind, good, compassionate individual does not mean that we have to allow someone to harm us. That does not mean that our compassion, our empathy has to have no boundaries because empathy without boundaries is self-destruction. You know, if we are, if we are only existing with caring about other people and we are, you know, always feeling empathetic to their plight or their sad story that they have given us and we have no boundaries against them, we will self-destruct. So that's why the other half of do no harm, take no shit is that take no shit because I am going to have boundaries. I will not allow myself to be harmed. I will stand up for myself. I will advocate for what I believe because I am not going to use my do no harm part because that's me not operating in harm towards anyone else. I will not allow that to also mean that I receive harm. So that do no harm, take no shit has been one of my sort of life mottos, favorite quotes for a long time. I always say it's like the mullet um, therapist in the front, martial artist in the back. <laughs> so um, that that's one of my my favorite quotes out there. I love it. I think many can take that. I will. I mean, I've seen it before, but I like it. I will write it down again. Thank you very much, Emily Mick. I will in the show notes, I will add the contact details in case people would like to reach out. I will also um, link um, the, the article you linked to me as well as the Psychopath Free book. So I will link it for the listeners. And um, again, thank you very much. I think this is very helpful for people just to learn the definitions learn what it's about so that you can learn to um, recognize it because as you say if as long as you don't you're stuck yes abs absolutely because one of the the first things in, in counseling that we ever talk about the any the first thing that leads to uh behavior change um change in how we think how we respond is recognition if we can't recognize it we can't do anything about it so when we start to, you know, have the tools to recognize what's going on, now suddenly we start to have the ability to know what we need to start operating upon. It may take a while to find that motivation, but we have to recognize it first. Thank you so much, Emily, for this interview. I think that the listeners learned a lot from you and will be better equipped in recognizing red flags, patterns, as well as reassured that they aren't, quote-unquote, crazy that leaving is not necessarily easy but it will be so worth it for anyone that wishes to reach out to emily please find her details in the show notes below in two weeks the last episode of season one will air with jen moore and we will be back with season two in september